Amen to that. And thank you, um, TJ, Monica, and Gavin, for leading us in, yes, in music. And I heard the bells on Christmas Day. It is one of my favorite songs. Arrangements that make me teary in front of people are not my favorite, but I guess that means it was good. But here's the reason and why I think it leads into uh, today's text from 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, I'm not a a very musically inclined person, um, and and neither is my dad. Um, But the reason I I heard the bells on Christmas Day is, is one of our shared favorites is because my dad told me that there was a time that, um, you know, it had been a long year. It was a stressful and um, anxious time. And he was hearing all of these happy Christmas songs. And you ever heard a lot of happy things and you're just, you're not there. You're not connected to it. You're not feeling it. And then I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Um, was the next song that he heard when he was just present to like ah, the Christmas spirit. And here I am just feeling like a Grinch. And it was that sentiment in the verse of saying, you know, the, the, the narrator of the song that we sing along with says, well, there is no peace on earth. The, the world and its problems, they, they mock this idea of peace on earth. And it just feels like it's not as, life is not as good as all of these happy songs say. And then the bells came again. They sounded again. They rang more deeply. And good will prevail. Wrongs will be righted. And so I heard the bells on Christmas Day is not a song that states that necessarily everything is good and perfect right now. But it is the type of song that reminds us that we have hope And that just because we're not always feeling bubbly Christmas doesn't mean that we're a total Grinch, but rather it does mean that we know the pain in the world. We can own frustration. We can be aware of our anxiety. And yet we come back to hope and peace and the love of God to center us and to remind us that evil does not have the last say that good does prevail in the end. I think that ties us well um, to the prophet Elijah, who lived in a difficult time. And so if you're following along in your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 16. And Elijah the prophet has had a hard life. Um, He has been not listened to. He's been chased. His life has been threatened. And he has spent considerable amount of time just hiding and avoiding um, the evil king. And yet now we come to a showdown. We come to Mount Carmel. And this story might be familiar to some. We're following along with the Jesse tree, but, but this is very much in the same line as our Back to Basics series. This is a, a story that is in many of our children's Bibles. We hear it often. But just to give you some idea that Elijah is about to have a showdown with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Baal and Asherah are other gods that are being worshipped. And, and this is in Israel. So you'd think, well, in Israel, don't they worship God? Well, Elijah would say they're supposed to, but they're not right now. And because of the unfaithfulness and the worshipping of Baal and Asherah instead of the Lord Almighty, Yahweh or Adonai or Elohim, 
Because of that, there has been a drought on the land. And this particular showdown matters because Baal is the god of fertility that would offer rains to the earth. And the people have been experiencing a drought. And so this is where we pick up in 1 Kings 18, beginning at verse 16. When it's time to see whose God will give attention to the world. And so as we do pray before the reading of God's word, I want you to just hold on to that word, attention. Let's pray. God, we give our attention to you. Hopefully not just in this moment, but with all of our lives. We turn our attention to your word, asking that you speak to us. Speak to us through the words read and through the words spoken. We ask that we may remember that your attention has been given to us through your unconditional, unfailing love. And so in that love, make us aware of the attention that you have put upon us in the love of Christmas and Advent that you sent your son Jesus to attend to the sins of the world in a way that none of us could. Make us attentive to the story of your prophet Elijah, to the words that he spoke, to the testimony that he offered of you, that we may be attentive to our own testimony and how we speak of you and how we live in your name, O God. In all of this, pour your Holy Spirit's attention into our hearts that we may see you, Jesus. With all of our attention, and with all of your love. Amen. First Kings, chapter 18, beginning at verse 16. So Obadiah, another prophet, went to meet Ahab. Ahab is the king at this time. And told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, 
Choose one of the bowls and prepare its first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God, the Lord he is God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever tried to get someone's attention? I assume that we all have at some point or another for some reason or another. Maybe you're at a stage of life where you're trying to get the attention of someone that you think is kind of cute and you hope that they think you're kind of cute too and maybe we could, you know, get socially distanced coffee or something. How do we get people's attention when we like them and we want them to like us? Maybe we want the attention of uh, someone that we respect. Uh, maybe it's through, through maybe getting the good grade that we can show maybe the teacher or the parent or someone else that, that we've done well. We want some good attention for this. Maybe we want some attention from our coworkers or superiors. 
just trying to show, hey, I'm, I'm doing a good job here. I want some attention for this. I have never had the experience um, in a crowded city of trying to get the attention of a cab, and I know that the industries of Uber and Lyft have probably made that a little bit less of a thing, but still somewhat real. The only time I've had to get the attention of a cab um, and you know hail a cab the way you do it was when I was in Chiapas, Mexico. And it was really easy for me to do it there because I was a verifiable giant in Chiapas. And so, I mean, I didn't even have to wave. I just kind of stood like a doofus at the corner and cabs would stop and be like, need a ride? Sure, that was great. That was easy. Sometimes it's easier to get attention than others. But we also are aware that sometimes people are trying to get our attention. Maybe if you're a parent, you've experienced this, or a grandparent, of uh, sometimes the, the only gift that we're being asked to give is the gift of our unfocused attention. Watch me go down the slide one more time. Just, just watch me do this. Watch me do that. Look what I drew. These are the things that, that we do when we're kids. And I think it's actually something of, of innocence that we should pay attention to. It is the earnest ask, like a prayer, saying, watch me, pay attention to me. Of all of the different things that we could mention about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, how he let them pick the bull first, how he anointed his sacrifice with water three times, which sounds awful baptismal, if you ask me, what we can hold on to today as we think about how 1 Kings 18 and a whole bunch of sacrifices on a mountain relate us to Advent and the stories that lead us to Jesus is this. Elijah and the prophets of Baal are asking for the attention of a God. How do you get God's attention? And to what God's do you, do you give your attention? It's a twofold thing when it comes to attention. There are the things that we give our attention to. And there's those whose attention we are trying to get. Things we give our attention to. This is happening right now to a, hopefully a, a large extent. Um, I am giving my attention to you in delivering a sermon, and hopefully to some extent you're giving attention to the words that I'm saying and hoping that God speaks through them. Whose attention are we trying to get? If you all seemed a little bit sleepy, I might try to tell a joke or make a conspicuous loud noise to regather your attention. And if I seemed maybe distracted or just a little bit off, uh, some of you might, uh, might smile a little bit or just look like, hey, you know, We've got your attention. Attention, getting, and giving is a core aspect of any relationship. There is not much love that we can speak of if attention, both what we're giving and receiving, is reciprocal, meaning it's given and received. In ancient Israel, just as in today, there are times where our attention, what we know in our heads, is that our attention should be given to the Lord God Almighty, right? 
This is a pretty simple equation. God should get our attention. God should get the glory. But other things ask for our attention. And, and sometimes they ask with a little bit more urgency or a little bit more kind of upfront methods. And so there are other things that we do just have to give our attention to. But eventually, it might be those other things that become the attention that we're trying to get from them. This is where false gods emerge. This is where idolatry comes from. It's when usually something not necessarily even bad, often something good or even neutral, gets too much of our attention. Where all of a sudden our primary attention is not on God, but our attention is divided. Consider the idea of rain. Rain is a good thing, although too much or too little can be a bad thing. Rain is a gift from God, but droughts and floods are a reminder that we live in a fallen, sinful world. Rain is good. And in fact, those who worshipped Baal expected Baal to send rain. That was what Baal was supposed to do. But it wasn't happening. And we don't worship the rain. Rather, we give thanks to God when we get the right amounts. Some of us are praying for snow, and some of you are praying against snow. Good thing it's not up to either of us. It is up to God. But we do need some. It would be pretty. But false gods emerge. Things that ask for a little bit more attention over time until they kind of become the object of worship and we lose sight of the one who we are to worship above it. And there's things that we can note that are, are, are fine and good, or even, at best, neutral. Attending to our appearance is a very normal thing to do. But what about when our appearance is where we find our self-worth? Maybe we look to entertainment for meaning in life. Maybe we begin to look to money for security. Maybe we look to social media for satisfaction or popularity for our identity. We can look to sex for fulfillment or promotions and good grades for a sense of achievement. All of those things listed, appearance, entertainment, money, social media, popularity, sex, promotions, good grades... None of those are bad in and of themselves. They can all be a gift from God. Entertainment. We're allowed to enjoy life. Being a Christian is not about somehow being miserable. There are the shows we watch. I was talking this morning with some members of the praise team about a particular show that's on Disney Plus right now. Ah, delayed gratification. One episode a week. And I just want more. And that's the catch. A good thing that we can enjoy can become too much of our focal point. Love of money is a root of evil, but money by itself is a vehicle by which we can celebrate generosity. Social media can be used for connection, but it also can become an idol that no matter how much time and attention we give it, it just never gives us the satisfaction we look to. It's always an empty hole, and it can lose its essence there. Being popular isn't necessarily even bad. Having connections, having relationships can be a good thing, leveraged for good reasons. 
But when we look to have our identity validated by popularity instead of remembering that our identity is sealed in baptism, well, that's where we lose ourselves. And something good or neutral can become an idol. Anything can become an idol. And we are in the Reformed tradition here, and it was John Calvin, a reformer 500 years ago, who said, the human heart is a factory of idols. We take good things and give them too much attention or, or disordered attention, and they become idols. Because we are just designed to worship. We want to worship something because we need meaning and satisfaction and identity. We need a sense of security and fulfillment. We need some achievements to celebrate. Ways in which we are just designed. When all of that aligns with God, things are good. And when it doesn't, things are not so good. And none of these idols happen instantaneously. Very few times in Scripture is there a pivotal point where everything shifts. But more often, if you read through the Old Testament, if you're following through the stories in between the Jesse Tree stories, often we just get like a one-liner, and then the people fell away and began to worship the gods of the Canaanites, or they began to worship Baals. And it's just that one-liner, and we maybe wonder, what happened? But it was probably very gradual. Maybe people were worshiping God and got kind of bored with that. Or maybe they didn't think that that God had God's attention on them. Maybe other things were just asking for their attention more. They needed rain. Baal's supposed to be the rain god. Well, maybe we should give Baal some of our attention. Most of the idols that we worship outside of God are things that snuck in gradually, deceptively, and with seeming innocence until they're just addictions. And so it's Elijah confronting that the prophets of Baal are numerous and that they have really taken over shop in Israel and that the king leads them to worship the Baals. And so Elijah gives this wager. It says there's only one true God. Whoever answers by fire, that's the real one. We're all designed to worship, to believe in God. So let's see which one is right. And this sounded good to the people. And Elijah's ask for God's attention is really quite simple. And it comes not just as a condemnation, not just as a slap upside the head for for why did you wander away? Have you learned nothing? Why are you worshiping idols again? But rather in verse 37, Elijah's prayer for the people is starts with, answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. It's not even with condemnation that Elijah calls the people back. We might feel a little judgy. We might actually ask for a little more condemnation, but rather... Elijah is interested in people turning their hearts back again, giving your attention back to God. John the Baptist had a similar mission given by God that Zechariah and Elizabeth were made aware of, that John the Baptist was going to help start turning people's hearts back to God to make way for Jesus. Turn their hearts back to God. 
So when we talk of idolatry, we want to condemn idolatry, but not the person committing idolatry so much as this invitation to turn your hearts back to God. In any other year at this point in Advent, we would probably be reminding ourselves to turn our attention towards Christmas because this season is so busy that there's all this stuff that asks for our attention during the Christmas season that we can sometimes get so busy giving our attention to it that we kind of not forget but passively neglect the reason for the season of Christ's birth. And it's with good things that just ask for a lot of attention. Every year we're reminding ourselves amidst family gatherings, company parties, food preparation, gift buying, travel schedules, Christmas card sending, that we just need to take a moment and remember Jesus. All of those good things are meant to point us back to Jesus. The, the gathering and fellowship, celebrating good food, giving food to those who do not have enough, buying gifts just as Jesus received gifts from the wise men. Gift buying, Christmas cards, just sending greetings to remember others, to reconnect. These are all good things. But they can ask for so much attention that they become the things we give our attention to. And it's attending to all of those things is where we're asking for the attention that we're trying to get. This year, well, there might be a little bit more margin in our lives without quite so many things happening. As I said, all of the above-mentioned things in a normal year of Christmas celebration are good, but they can also become idols that ask for a little bit more attention than what they deserve. Our own personal bales of the calendar, if you will. So take stock of what isn't happening this year. Maybe as a family, if you're making decisions or as an individual, you're trying to figure out what are you going to do and not do, what's available or not this year. Take stock of what is and isn't happening. And be honest. Write these things down. Lament it before God. Offer your sincere grief and disappointment that this maybe isn't the year that you wanted or asked for. Some of your favorite things maybe just aren't happening the way you want them to. Offer it in lament. And then ask God. God, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do instead? If some of the things that we don't have this year aren't happening, what are we going to do about it? Give God your attention and ask for God's attention in return. As you think of, what does Christmas of 2020 look like? It all comes down to a matter of attention. How we spend our time tells us a lot about what we really worship. And in a short closing, is it comforting to know that you already have God's attention? To answer the obvious question from the beginning of the sermon, how do you get God's attention? You already have God's attention. Pray like it. Pray as someone who already has God's attention, who already has the listening ear of the Lord, the King of the universe, who already is watching you as if a hair could not fall from your head without your Father in heaven knowing it. 
you, my friends, already have God's attention. The prophets of Baal, they weren't getting the answer they wanted, so they slashed themselves with swords and spears to let the blood flow. Because that was their custom, to get God's attention. They had to do something really big to get God's attention. Friends, you already have God's attention. Because God himself shed his blood on a different mountain. And that mountain was not Mount Carmel. It was Mount Calvary. Where God did not ask for us to shed our blood so that he would pay attention to us, but God shed his own blood, assuring us that we have the full attention of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowing God's attention is on us. Let's pray. God, life will always be busy, there will always be demands for our attention. May we give our attention to you first. And in so doing, seek ye first and your kingdom, that all of these other good things in their right priority may be given to us and added as well. May we be mindful of whose attention we're trying to get. There can be pain in not receiving the attention that we want or ask for. Lord, on those moments where we hear the bells on Christmas Day and it, it doesn't seem like there's peace on earth, in that pain may we offer our grief to you and be reminded that you have already given attention to us. And so as we go into our week, as we live our lives, May we be generous with attention. First to you, O oh God. May we give attention to these stories of the Jesse tree that lead us to Christmas. May we give you attention in prayer. May we give attention to your word so that it may lead us to a deeper understanding of the word made flesh in Jesus Christ. And may we also give attention to loved ones. May we remember that they have our attention, that sometimes they just really want a little bit of attention. May we respond generously with time and attention, knowing that you are the God who will provide. As you answered the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel, with the full attentiveness of a fire that burned a sacrifice, and as you turned your attention toward the world on Mount Calvary, by shedding your blood for us, by giving the sacrifice for our sins and for our salvation. May we use your generosity of attention as the framework for generosity of our own attention. In all of this, O oh God, may we fulfill the prayer of Elijah and the work of John the Baptist, that through our attention we can turn our hearts back again to you again and again and again throughout this life, until with unveiled face we shall behold you in all of your glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.